I feel like Madonna with this, I'm sorry. It's the only way, it's the only way in which I, there is any similarity to me and Madonna. <laughs> uh, you wear one of these things. Anyway, uh, they inflicted on me at our church, and I, I always prefer the stand microphone because <laughs> I can't destroy it. If, if you get this at the end of today with me not having broken it, it'll be a miracle. <laughs> I'm known in our church as Mr. DIY. Destroy it yourself. Never let the vicar get near anything. No, no, they say. <laughs> oh, thank you. More questions. <laughs> right, okay. So, uh, there was a question that was sent in beforehand about the millennium, which I hope I've done my best to try and answer. Well, there's more coming. Um, but there's a question that says, Revelation 20, verse 11 states, The dead, great and small, will be judged according to what they've done, and that if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, will be thrown into the lake of fire. Since judgment occurs after the 1,000-year reign of Christ, where are and what is happening now to unbelievers and believers when they die? Um, well, I think I've explained at least my take on how I understand the thousand-year reign, and that is, I think, um, it's uh, it's not literal, and I think it's speaking about the reign of the church. So, when people die now, we're told, aren't we, that those who die believing, they go immediately into the presence of Christ. Um, Paul says, um, "That's better by far." So, um, if we're at home in the, if we're away from the body, we're at home with the Lord, is what how Paul puts it, isn't it? For those who are trusting in Christ, for those who are unbelievers, we're told that they will be raised along with those who trusted in Christ on Resurrection Day, and then um, will come the judgment. So um, then the decision will be made as to whether they've trusted in Christ or not, and uh, some will depart to eternal life and some will depart to eternal death so that's the Bible's teaching um, which is sobering Uh, so do the souls under the altar have physical bodies or are they spirits Revelation 20 verse 4 the opening of the fifth seal do the souls under the altar have physical bodies or are they spirits again um, it's a figurative way of speaking it's saying if you like that the the, um, uh, looking at the church um, the martyrs of the church, it's as though they're the, the injustice of the way that they've been killed cries out to be dealt with. And cries out, the cry of God's people is, please Lord, come and deal with an end. Put an end to this. And God will one day um, do that. He will step in and he will bring an end. Because when he, brings it, when he steps in, it will be the final day of judgment. So the reason why, of course, God delays and delays and delays and doesn't bring the day of judgment now is because he's not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to eternal life. So he's giving the maximum time. God is incredibly patient, isn't he? He's giving us the maximum amount of time to repent. And that's the whole point of him sending judgments, is so that we might see the judgment and run to him and repent. Um, so I hope I've dealt with those questions. Here are a few more, just a few. So Revelation 12.1 tells us about the woman with the crown of 12 stars, which refers to the 12 tribes of Israel. What do the, the numbers relating to the dragon symbolize? 
um, so with seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems on his head. Seven heads um, speaks of, so when creatures have lots of heads, the implication is that um, they, keep, they keep rearing their ugly heads. In other words, you can't get rid of them. They keep coming again and again and again. So um, uh, in, uh, in Daniel, you know, the, the beast, you know, a head is cut off and another one appears, which, which just shows that it, it's going to keep cropping up in these period of sevens. The ten horns, ten, uh, a horn stands for, again, in biblical uh, imagery, for strength. So if it's saying that there are ten horns, it's saying that there, this, is, this is one who has, appears to have lots of strength. And diadems or crowns on the head, again, that speaks of authority and power. So here is Satan who seems to exercise power and authority and appears again and again and again. But of course, he's a defeated, defeated foe in Christ. Thank you. There's another one coming. As fast as I'm getting rid of them, more are coming. <laughs> Should I keep quiet? <laughs> Will that stop the questions? Oops. Can you explain more about the Antichrist and about the rapture? Now, the Antichrist doesn't appear, as you'll have noticed, in Revelation. Thank you. Oops. Ooh, we're knocking everything off now. Um, the Antichrist doesn't appear in Revelation. Um, John speaks about an Antichrist. And it seems as though the Antichrist is one way of speaking of perhaps the beast. Or Paul talks about the man of, the man of lawlessness. These all seem to be the same sort of figures. The spirit of Antichrist, the power of lawlessness, these powers are at work in the world all the time. But it seems as though in the last, last days, there will come one person who seems to be the epitome of it all, who is the Antichrist. But the spirit of Antichrist is at work now, says John. And the power of lawlessness is amongst us now. But there will come a man of lawlessness and the Antichrist, eventually. Um, lots of people have tried to work out who it is. You know, Is it the Pope? Martin, Lu- Martin Luther said it was the Pope. The Pope thought it was Martin Luther. Uh, <laughs> And so on. You know, you, you return the compliment. So, um, uh, the rapture, um, yeah, again, that's part of a premillennial way of thinking that God's people are, t- are taken. Um, and, uh, you know, if you've read those books by, forget the, Tim LaHaye and somebody else, two Americans, Left Behind, um, that's quite popular with certain strands of American premillennialism. But I don't, I don't. Th- See, there's any evidence for that myself in the Bible, but you can argue with me. Revelation 12:4. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. What does the one third of the stars represent, and what's their purpose on earth? Well, you get that reference there in verse in verse four, and then you're told in verse seven there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was held down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was held to the earth and his angels with him. And I think that's the explanation of what we're told with the stars being uh, swept out of the sky and flung to the earth. In other words, there is uh, a defeat of Satan and the demonic powers that takes place in the heavens because of Jesus' defeat 
of Satan on the cross. So there is a um, Satan and a third of the angels seem to rebel against God uh, in order to set themselves up against God. I think that's what that's referring to. What is the sun and moon in chapter 12, verse 1? Uh, chapter, Genesis 37, verse 9 mentioned about the sun and the moon as well. Um, are both the sun and moon related? Well, I think it's to do with, um, uh, with Jacob and, uh, and his wife. And, you know, mum and dad, Joseph's mum and dad are the sun and the moon. And then he's got the 11 stars, which are his brothers. And they're all bowing down to him. So it's, represent, it's basically saying this is the people of God, the faithful people of God in the Old Testament. Revelation 21, verse 1, is it going to be a brand new heaven and earth or renewed, refreshed one? <laughs> refresh, press refresh, refresh, refresh. Uh, so, it seems to be a bit of both. So, it's this world renewed, redeemed, because God's in the business of salvaging, isn't he? Sal- that's what the word salvation means, to, re- to refresh this world. But it's going to be this world, and yet it's going to be with all the horrible things taken out, and with all the good things to the max. So it seems to be a bit of both. New heaven and a new earth. But they're related to this he- new heaven. This heaven and earth. So Jesus, I mean, for instance, you take the body of Jesus. I mean, the body of Jesus, which was resurrected, was that first bit of the new creation, wasn't it? The first bit. It's always intrigued me that initially the disciples don't recognize him. Why is that? Well, because Jesus is Jesus. He hasn't, hasn't changed him in his person, but his body is a resurrected body. It's different. There's some correlation, and Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, doesn't he? How the seed, there's some correlation between the seed and the plant, but actually they, they look very different, don't they? Yes? And so Jesus bears the scars, but actually, is that the reason why the disciples don't recognize him? It may be because of their grief and they're not expecting it yet, all of that. But I wonder also whether it's because, that's my speculation, I wonder also because he, he's, he has a resurrected body. So it's the, it is the same, but it's different. And, you know, you get that a bit in C.S. Lewis. You get that a bit in Tolkien. Do you remember um, Lord of the Rings, any of you Lord of the Rings fans? You know, well, there's, there's Gandalf, the grey. And then he goes through all the fires, doesn't he? And he fights with, um, what's it called? Oh, there we are, some fans over here who know the exact term. <laughs> yeah, you were staying up last night watching it, weren't you? For the hundredth time, or whatever it is. But anyway, no, thank you, the bell rock. And, so he, he, and then he comes out, doesn't he? As Gandalf the White. And do you remember when they first meet him? And he says, Gandalf. And he smiles and says, yes. That's what I was called, wasn't it? As though he's become so much more than what he was before. Now, I, I wonder, I think Tolkien is getting, a, a, is getting that sort of sense of, yes, there's a continuity between what we are and what we will be, but we will be so much more in the new heaven and the new earth. And I think that's borne out in what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 15. don't know if that's helpful or not. Anyway, um, 
people talk about the rapture, the one-year tribulation, the millennium, etc., how are all these relevant to me? What am I supposed to do with all this information? What am I supposed to be prepared for as a Christian? Am I missing out something important if I don't understand all these? Help me. <laughs> well, I, would have, I hope that today has helped. Look, The message of Revelation is simple. The Lamb wins. That's it. You want to be on the winning side? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Trust in the blood of Jesus and keep being faithful to him. And you'll be there. And that's all you need to worry about. Revelation. I mean, that's basically what Revelation says. It takes 22 chapters to say it, but that's basically what it's saying. Does the charge that churches need to do something in order to gain the crown of life mean a move away from salvation by grace? It sounds as if they could lose the gift of salvation. Well, there's a whole complex question there. Is it by our works or is it by faith? What places our works play in faith? Calvin, John Calvin, great reformer. Where's our Calvinist reform friend? Who Somebody introduced themselves to me earlier as being a reformed Calvinist. Oh, it was predestined that he wouldn't be here, I think. Um, Anyway, (laughs) he obviously didn't see that one coming. Um, But Calvin said, didn't he? He said, we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. So true faith perseveres. How do you know whether you have true faith? Persevere. (laughs) Hmm? Do we trust in ourselves? Ah, no, 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 no. Look to him. Look to him. And he will daily give you faith. And every day is about trusting him, trusting him, trusting him. And he'll give you the crown of life. So is it down to us? Well, we've got to exercise faith. We don't sit back and cross our arms and say, oh, no, that's all right. Jesus has done it. Put my feet up. No, 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 no. Be faithful. Be faithful. Patiently endure. That requires holding on to God, but knowing that he's holding on to us. The two witnesses in chapter 11, are they literally two people or representative of God's faithful people? I think they're representative of God's faithful people. I can tell you why afterwards. Um, In our present day, which church or denomination does the seven churches represent? (laughs) Well, I hope I've argued that they represent all of us. Because I think the, per, the number of seven is, speaks of completeness. So this, in amongst these seven churches, they represent all the struggles that we face in every age. And you'll find different bits in each of the churches which might be more relevant or less relevant to you at different stages. But they're all God's word, and they all, we, we need to read all of them. How is the book of Revelation being played out in today's world events? Um, well, it's the same, isn't it? Jesus said There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be famines and earthquakes. All that's happening. These are the beginnings of the birth pains. It's the same. Is the woman in chapter 12 the heavenly church of is- or Israel or is it both? Well, um, it's the faithful people of God. Whether that's Israel in the Old Testament or whether it's after the Messiah has come from them, the ch- New Testament church. Is the dragon Satan? Yes, because verse 9 tells us that in chapter 12. What is the correlation between Michael's victory in heaven and Christ's victory on earth? The one is dependent on the other. Michael wins because Christ is one on the cross. What does 666 really mean? Well, 
I hope I've given you an explanation of what I think it means, but you, you may disagree and come back at me if you do, as I say I'm hanging around for a bit. Uh, what is the dispensational view? Could be here a long time telling you that. Is hell a place of eternal torment, or are sinners d- destroyed utterly, annihilated? Oh, dear me. Gosh, that's a big one as well. Um, I think... Well, have a look. Just have a look at that one um, very quickly. Where we're told, uh, chapter 20 and verse 10, and it talks about the devil being thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then we're told that verse 14... Uh, sorry, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he'd done. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And it seems that in verse 10, those who are cast into the lake um, are tormented forever. And I don't, I don't think any one of us... Um, reads those words lightly but that's the judgment of God it is a terrible thing to reject God and God doesn't want anyone to face that so he's patient and patient and patient and patient and that's why he delays the Lord Jesus coming Um, it's an awful thing and I don't want us to read over those words glibly you will know people and I've got members of my family who at the moment don't seem to be showing any sign of wanting to trust God. I think the appropriate response to that would be just to pray now, wouldn't it? Why don't we just take a moment just to pray for people you know, people you work with, people in your family who aren't trusting Christ. And let's pray that their names would be found in the book of life and that God would have mercy on them. Let's bow our heads and pray. And just in the silence, commit those people who've come to your mind as I've been speaking, just commit them to God and ask God to have mercy on them and for them to come to know Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen.